Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the DealMaker Show. So today we have a, a very exciting founder, a founder that is going to teach us quite a bit about recruiting, quite a bit about also engineers, and how, you know, really great companies are placing those. So I guess without further ado, Vivek, Ravi Sankar, welcome to the show today. Well, thank you so much for having me. So originally from India, and uh, how, was, how was life there? Life is great. I, I love India. I love going back home. Uh, yeah, I was born, brought up there. Um, life is good, but I moved here to the Bay Area for the last uh, seven years, and uh, the place where I live resembles India. So I'm totally, I'm, I'm totally good. And I understand that you guys now have a dual headquarters. So also, you know, you still have, you're still very much attached to India. But why don't we start with how you landed in the U.S. Because I understand that. You had your, your startup going on, and, and then you decided to apply to Y Combinator. So, so walk us through what happened. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we started, we started the company in India. We had a lot of different failed ideas um, on this. And I really wanted to come to Silicon Valley. Um, why? Um, um, I, I, think, I think Silicon Valley is just has this magical aura around it where all great companies are created. Uh, so, um, and, and I tried to... I tried to come here through a bunch of different ways, but nothing really worked. Uh, and Y Combinator was my uh, was my passport to to come to the valley. So we'd apply to Y Combinator with our first idea, didn't get through with our second one, didn't get through with the third one, uh, which seemed to have semblance of um, a strong product market fit. Um, but it's pretty, but it's still pretty early. Um, that's when they called us. So we flew in here. Just for the ten-minute interview, uh, YC interviews have probably changed a lot right now. And um, six years back, seven years back, and that was our first um, first entry into the U.S. First entry into YC. Um, and I think I would, I, I must admit, it's, a, it's it was a it's a life-changing one, a positive, uh, life-changing one. And I understand as well that you had some issues with a visa. Yeah, I mean, immigration is always hard. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, I've never, I've never, I'm yet to hear from somebody who said, oh, immigration and visa process, it was just uh, super smooth and uh, everything went as, as expected. Um, yeah, no, we did have, uh, so my, my co-founder, Hari, didn't get his visa. So I had to fly in here alone. Um, and in fact, like he couldn't get his visa for about like three, four years. Um, 
uh, after we until after we started the company and raised a couple of rounds of financing. Um, so it was pretty amazing. Like half the people here um, in in the office uh, in the U.S. office haven't even met or seen Hari for a very long time. My co-founder's name is Hari, um, and um, so it was it was a pretty pretty big surprise. I think the first time he even came to the U.S. was. 2017 so only only about two years back wow um so uh yeah no visa visa situation is always going to be complex and and problematic i i don't think uh, uh i don't know i don't know if we are if you're moving in the direction to actually solve that which is which is even pain even more painful oh i hear you i hear you and i've also dealt with the visa um you know the, the good stuff around the visa. So I, I, I can totally relate. And just out of curiosity, you know, and, and probably the listeners are also thinking, how did you meet your co-founder? How did you meet Hari? Uh, Hari and I went to the same college. Uh, we, uh, we were, uh, we studied the same, uh, we studied computer science together. Um, I don't think we, be, uh, we attended uh, classes together uh, because I don't think Hari attended half of the classes. I think he was stuck in computer lab and Hari was actually one of the best hackers uh, in, in our college. Um, so we, we just, we just worked, we just started working on a lot of different side projects. Um, we got to, we got to know each other pretty well. And, um, and frankly, the, the startup idea or the, or the one that we started was, was really like an extension of our college project. We really thought of it that way. Hey, uh, we've done a lot of things together. So this is one more thing, um, except that it is an, under an umbrella of a company or a startup. But to us, when we started, it was just it was just another another project that we wanted to do. So, what was essentially the idea that you guys uh, applied to Y Combinator with? For the first time, and, and the way that we started this company, the company was called Interview Street prior to HackerRank. And the way that we uh, what what Interview Street did was uh, it was essentially a platform for mock interviews. So, uh, if if you had an interview call with Google or Amazon uh, or any of those companies, you could come onto our site and attend a mock interview with an ex Googler. Um, or an ex-Amazon person to get an understanding or an idea as to how the real interview is going to be. And also he or she is going to give you feedback on what you did well, what you can do better, essentially improving the odds of um, you getting a job at one of these uh, dream companies. Um, that's how we got started. Um, so the candidate will pay you X dollars, the interviewer will get Y, and X minus Y will go to our pocket. So it was kind of like a marketplace for uh, for interview for technical interviews. Um, it's totally bombed. <laughs> Um, yeah, right. maybe, maybe we were too, uh, early to the, to the market because now there are a lot of mock interviews that are happening and, uh, and it's going pretty well. Um, so, so that, that was, that was our first idea, first venture that we got started with. And, and obviously, you know, going back to white combinator, you were the, actually the first Indian founder to, to ever graduate from, from YC. So, so really, really cool. So, so I guess, how was the experience for you? Because this was the first time for you to really jump on a plane and, and come to the U.S. Uh, and I'm sure that you were like super shocked with with everything around you. So, so how was that culture shock for you? And and also, how would you say that Y Combinator, you know, like really really changed and and perhaps helped you grow as a, as a founder? Y Combinator is life changing. Uh, y Combinator was life changing, or or um, for me at least. Um, I think I think the level of intensity that YC gives you. I mean, just think about it. Like you land, uh, you get, you, you do a 10 minute interview, you get, um, you get a yes or no the same day. And we had, um, we had whatever, like 10,000 or $20,000 in our bank account. And then like three days later, you are incorporated in the U S you have a bank account and, um, 
a half a million dollars or something on, along those lines was wired. Uh, I mean, just just imagine like you, you were you were going bankrupt on the last Sunday, and now you have half a million dollars with the YC backing with a company incorporated in America in one week. That's 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 a giant whirlwind to go through. Um, I wish that happened every week. You know, that'd be like a good growth curve to have. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, it is it's it's completely life changing. I think the the level of intensity. Uh, with which we operated in Y Combinator. Uh, we had uh, a deadline, which is uh, called Demo Day, where you present to like hundreds of investors and you need to show meaningful progress between the start of the program to the Demo Day uh, to have a shot at it. And like everybody around you, as much as they are your peers, they're all they're very competitive. I mean, like everybody wants to showcase that you are the best company of the batch and that you have to invest in, in this company. Um, so it was, it was intense. Um, it was, I, I learned a lot. I continued to learn a lot from PG, Paul Graham, Sam Altman, and like all, all the other mentors um, that I had. Um, it was amazing. From a, um, from a culture shock perspective, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I honestly, um, I mean, I, I live in the southern part of the Bay Area, the, the peninsula, which is Mountain View, uh, Sunnyvale, and, and, and areas around that. Um, you know, frankly, it feels like a mini India. So, so I don't, I don't know any, any kind of culture shock. Like they, they screen Indian movies. They, yeah. I mean, uh, Castro, which is the downtown part of Mountain View. Every every alternate restaurant is an Indian restaurant. It's always warm, like Bangalore and Chennai, where I'm from. Um, and a bunch of bunch of my friends who graduated college, who did their masters here, who are all working at Google and other places, were around me. Um, I do miss home for sure. I mean, the, you never, you can't replace the authenticity of um, of your native place of your hometown. But I don't think there was like a, that big of a cultural shock. I think it might have been if I landed in some other city like New York or Chicago or somewhere else. Yeah. Got it. So then, at the end of uh, White Combinator, what was the um, you know, what 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 did you guys say? What was the road ahead? What were you looking at? And and what what ended up being like the business model that you were clear on on executing on? Yeah, we 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 we've uh, iterated a bit. I think I think at a high level, the vision was pretty clear to to match every developer to the right job. The the underlying driver being skill over pedigree. That's what matters. Uh, that 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 is how the world should be. That that's how the world should operate on. So that was pretty clear. But we have iterated a lot on how we go about achieving the mission. What's our um, what's our business model? A lot. And uh, so right now. Um, so Hackerang, we, we match developers to jobs based on their skills. And we, we have 1,500 customers, 6.5 million uh, developers in our, in our community, uh, 20% of the Fortune 100 companies. And the way the platform works is as a developer, you can come and practice on Hackerang to hone your skills and take an assessment for a particular company. Um, and and so, so if, let's say, Uber or Airbnb or VMware wants to hire a developer, they create an assessment, customized assessment on our platform uh, with the skills that they're looking for. They send it out to the candidates who are applying for the company. You, you as a developer, take this assessment, uh, get matched with uh, or get ranked on the skill sets and get an onsite interview and you get an offer. So it has fundamentally changed the dynamic of how a developer gets a job from looking at resumes, screening about screening with keywords and others to, to just to just looking at your skills. Yeah, especially because good engineers also get bombarded. I mean, I have friends that their inbox on LinkedIn is is about to explode. So, I guess for the for the folks that are listening and I guess more on the on the business side, why why would you say so hard to to find, you know, really good engineers and to also convince them? 
Yeah, uh, well, I, I think there are a lot of factors. I don't think there's there's like a silver bullet. Um, I mean, usually, uh, usually hard, uh, usually valuable problems are hard. Uh, so I don't think there's like a silver bullet. But I would say, um, I would say the core fundamental uh, thing is everybody is looking at a minority minority section of the candidate, which is the fundamental atomic unit of of developer hiring. It's still is mostly based on resumes, and when you base it on resumes, what you're really looking for is did you go to one of the top 10 schools and did you work at one of these 50 companies that I'm looking at? And by definition, top 10, no, top 50 or whatever you have is going to look at a minority. It's going to look at 10%. Uh, but the the skill of a developer is not uh, does not asymmetrically decline in the next 20 or the next 50 companies that you're going to look at. Um, in fact, you know, ironically, it's talent is distributed pretty much evenly and but opportunity is not. So, the the, the, so the skill of developers does not asymmetrically decline, but the pool at which you look at is is super highly concentrated into the small set of companies, um, and and everybody's looking at a small set of candidates, and every every company is looking at the same set, which is just driving up demand for those candidates um, and and making it seem like there is a there is a supply constraint that there are not enough developers in the world or there are not enough skilled developers, but if you Break free of those shackles uh, of looking at resumes or looking at those um, uh, those schools and, and companies, and just say, "Look, if you have the skill, I'm willing to hire you." You just like open up a giant pool. I mean, that's kind of like what we what we've done for companies. I'll give you an extreme example. This is not to be taken as something that you can do repeatedly, but there was a developer whose resume read as dishwasher, um, a dishwasher in a in, in a restaurant, and he ended up creating a challenge uh, for VMware, and he got promoted twice within the company. That's crazy. Now, that doesn't mean like, you know, you can go ahead and hire like 50 dishwashers who are going to be aspiring to be developers. But that's an extreme example of that. But that tells you that the you have to be open to unlocking opportunities. And that's the only way that you can meet your hiring goals and ship quality products. Um, I think that is probably the single biggest change that the industry needs to do. And we're driving it really hard. Got it. Got it. So I guess going back to to the business itself, to hacker rank. So so you got out of Y Combinator. Your co-founder was still was still in in India. So I guess what would you say has been the toughest part of of really building this dual you know headquarters type of operation? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I think uh, time zones are de- are definitely challenging. Um, India and um, and here in the West Coast is about twelve and a half hours, and then there's this this, this dumb daylight savings time that that we all follow. Which, yeah. which makes it worse. It makes it like 13 and a half hours at, um, after some point in time. Um, so it is, it is a, it is a big, uh, time difference for sure. Um, so the time zone difference syncing up and faster iterations are going to be hard, uh, when you have that kind of a, that kind of a difference. Uh, the good part about it is, um, it's just that we are able to support customers in a global way. Um, I mean, if you look at every single company that's starting off in the Bay area or California, they are starting to branch off at different parts in America. That's one. But also, every company is starting to open up offices in Bangalore. Bangalore is the, is the Silicon Valley of India, um, and 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 so we're able to support these customers globally, which is which is very helpful, which is very good, and it's like a selling point for us. And also, you get to reduce costs because now you don't have to pay the one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand an engineer. Uh, that, that is, that is, that is true, but you, you, you will be surprised. Like, you know, it's, it, it, Bangalore is getting crazy in terms of salary and, and, and developer salary. Yes. Obviously it's not as close to Bay area, but if you, if you, 
I, I don't think so. So you need to look at the weighted cost. The weighted cost is the cost of communication plus or times the the cost of the developer salary. I mean, like that's kind of the weighted cost um, or like, you know, whatever, like cost of productivity gain slash loss times the cost of um, cost of the developer himself or herself. And if you if you do that, um, I don't think I don't think Bangalore is that far off uh, from Bay Area. Uh, the costs are getting crazy. Um, uh, companies are the, the many 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 more internet companies which are getting funded like crazy um, thanks to SoftBank, Tiger Global, and a bunch of other VCs which is like pouring in hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, and um, I, I I I think that's a myth. It's it's not it's not true anymore. Got it. And and I guess now you know talking about the business itself, what were some of the challenges that that you experienced like like building HackerRank? You know when we're thinking about the early days. Yeah, I think uh, I think it varies at, at different stages of, of the journey. Uh, early on, you know, can, do, you, do you even have product market fit? How do you define whether you have product market fit or not? And are customers willing to pay? Um, you know, can you get like ten unaffiliated customers? Which is which is another way of saying like, are there ten people that you had no idea who they were, but they are willing to sign and pay a hundred thousand dollars or whatever the, the, the dollar value is uh, to to subscribe to your product? Uh, so that was like a big challenge because if you don't get ten, then then forget getting hundred or thousand um and 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 then the second part is like okay can you build uh can you can you have like a repeatable attraction repeatable sale can you go from 10 to 100 in a repeatable predictable way uh, and that's super hard um you know to 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 actually go ahead and do that and then as you as you start to get to 100 and 200 can you are you able to support these customers in a in a reliable way because i mean we've reached a point and, and i think it, like companies reach this point where the probability of of some customer being upset is is one uh, because you you've, you've actually have like a lot of customers now like you know using your product and, and trying to do and and you need to be you need to make sure that you can have a very very strong support system internally uh, to make sure that you can prioritize things to make sure you can get back to customers fast and you need to like constantly have the customer delight uh, factor in your company your DNA um, so so those are like different probably like business related challenges and then like you have a bunch of organization related challenges which is communication is going to be a big thing uh, when you start off with like five people everybody sitting together at the same table you have lunch together and everybody knows what each each of you are doing uh, but it's not the same when you get to like you know even like even like 20 people or like 25 people it, it starts to become different um, and and now we're like 250 people with like multiple multiple locations it's like insanely hard to keep everybody on the same page so there are like organizational challenges that you need to overcome um and then like you know maybe the, the third one is um i would say it, uh, is, is also market related things like you know once you start to create a market i mean i, I think we kind of created the market for technical assessment uh, the ability for for companies to use a product to assess technical skills before you do an interview, uh, and then the market starts to get crowded. So how do you actually reinvent yourself, and how do you how do you expand the TAM? How do you go beyond it and create a new category? Uh, so that's that's probably uh, that will exist for the lifetime of the company, I'm guessing, uh, which is you're going to continue to evolve and get better um, because you can't have like a one trick pony that can just like take you all the way to to a billion dollar company. Uh, you have to figure out what's your what's your what's your next one that you can build on top of whatever you built. So those are those are like incremental challenges, uh, but the complexity of the challenges are not incremental. I would almost say it's the, the square, um, uh, if, if if not a, to a higher power, uh, the, the complexity of the challenges uh, to square of the size of the business and the size of employees. Um, 
So those are those are going to be like challenges that you're going to have to see uh, across the board. Got it. And and I understand as well that you guys have been quite successful on the on the fundraising side. How much how much capital have you guys raised to date? Uh, we've raised uh, close to sixty million dollars, and um, uh, and and I think um, yeah, that's also that's also like a uh, I wouldn't call it like a hundred percent vanity metric, but it's 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 somewhat of a vanity metric in Silicon Valley to to be uh, to equate fundraising or the dollars raised um, as success as, as a, of a company. Um, I think I think, and, and I, I I won't be able to share it with you on the podcast. That the one metric that I've been talking with our CFO and he's also very much dialed into this is is really revenue per employee. Um yeah. I think that matters that matters a lot, which is which is um uh, I don't know who tweeted this. Maybe it was Paul Graham or maybe it's someone else, which is like when when um if people are just astonished by the size of the company, wow, like you guys are so small for the amount of work that you do, that is a great sign to have. Uh I mean imagine if you're like, you know, 50 people doing this like it's wow really that's that's just insane i mean like whatsapp was like was, was like that like they got acquired for 22 billion dollars and they're like 15 people or 20 people or something like that it's just like crazy um but i i think that's a very healthy one to think about or consider um but uh yeah but to, to your to your question yes we've raised close to 60 million dollars very cool and and obviously as a founder, you know the the journey is is not as as glamorous as as we would read on the media outlets. Now, so I guess looking back, Vivek, what would you say has been probably the the darkest moment for for you, and perhaps a moment where you have been able to really break through and and learn a lot? Mm. Yeah, it is. It is. It is way way harder inside than than what is portrayed outside. And um, uh, my guess is, I, I my guess is, I mean, uh, it's probably true for every profession, whether you're a whether you're an athlete or, or filmmaker um, or, or anywhere else, um, I think people don't know the struggles that, that you're actually going through internally um, versus outside. Um, so, what has been the darkest? The darkest moments. I, I don't know if I if I can share the exact dark moments, but the darkest moments have been like when the when I felt like the company would die, and yeah. um, and that is that is a very very hard thing for for you to digest as a founder. Uh, it's different if you're a CEO, but you know if you're a founder CEO, you can't. It's super hard to alternate between those two hats because, like you know, founder is a very emotional connect to it, and CEO is more business like. So it's 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 super super hard if you're a founder um, to to digest the fact that the company is is, is going to die and it's going to go out of business. Um, and uh, I think what 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 break uh, what helped me break through. Um, I think I think this is where like you know my co-founder and my wife, uh, her name is Swarna. My co-founder is his name is Hari. Uh, without without those without the kind of emotional support from uh, from those two folks, I think it would have been kind of almost impossible for me to break through. And there is no silver bullet to breaking through except for just you got to keep pushing on it as long as you believe in the mission of the company and you have good enough emotional support that you don't like just break you um, to do that. Uh, but I don't think there's any silver bullet uh, to do it. Well, there is, there is like a, a, just a very, very broad, like life-like uh, nihilistic view of life. If you have it, which is like you're going to die anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, you can probably console yourself through that. Uh, but otherwise, it's just uh, uh, I don't know, man. It's just like brute, brute force. I, mean, I, don't have <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I mean, that that moment where you think that the company is going to die. I mean, every founder goes through that. Uh, through that moment, and and I guess yeah, you were talking about you were talking yeah. about Vivek about digesting it, and and but I guess you know one question, and I'm sure that perhaps there is a lot of people right now listening that 
that maybe are going through that specific, you know, problem right now that they think that their company is going to die. Let me ask you, like, how would you, let's say, recommend them uh, about digesting it first, but then proactively tackling, you know, whatever they have in front of them? It's a great question. I think, I think looking back, uh, what, what, what I would have done differently or I would have probably made it less hard on myself is, is, um, uh, maybe at a high level, two things. I, do, I don't have the perfect uh, way to organize whatever I'm going to say, so it might be a bit not super coherent. But the first thing I would say is like, do you really, really believe in this in the mission of the company that you want to accomplish? And like, it has to be super clear and super evident because a lot of times um, you jump into into a startup trying to have ulterior motives, like I want to make a lot of money, and that's okay. But that can't be a primary motive. Your primary motive should be like, I want to bring this to life within in this world, uh, this kind of a product or a company. So I'd say like, you know, that's, that's, that's the core, because if you don't have that um, and, and you might lose the glamor and the, uh, of the mission as well, because you just like found that it's, it's not as, as important to the world or it's not as easy or like whatever, whatever reasons that you have. So I'd say that that's number one. The second is, um, and, and I've tried to get better at it. And, and I don't know how, I don't know how exactly to measure. Uh, founders and CEOs are like always leaning towards the more optimistic side of it, which is like you have a tendency to twist the underlying truth to, to, to be more optimistic. And by the way, I do believe that is the right attitude to have because there's, you know, you can be, you can be so paranoid that you can kill yourself and that's not good. But I, I think it's important for you to ask the truth, like underlying truth of what is, is something fundamentally broken. Is there something broken in, in, in every company? Yeah, sure, for sure. But if, if there's something fundamentally broken about your um, uh, sort of your company, your, your business model and, and things on those lines, uh, making sure that you can actually ask a question, answer that question and course correct is going to be super helpful. Um, and, and, and by the way, the, the, this, this will be like a really hard pill to swallow uh, you know, because you might not like the answer. Go, oh, yes, this is fundamentally broken, and like you know, we have to, uh, we have to make this giant change, and, and all of those things. Uh, but I think that's the only way out. Uh, so I'd say, like you know, those are probably the two things. Got it. And one of the questions that I typically ask the folks that come on the show is, uh, obviously, I mean, you've been at it for for quite a while, so you've been able to to really embrace, you know, the the journey and and the ups and downs. But if I had the the opportunity here, let's say to ask you, if you had the opportunity to have a chat with your younger self, with that younger Vivek that is about to launch the business, what would be the one piece of business advice that you would give to yourself and why, knowing what you know now? Yeah, uh, thank you for making me feel old, first thing. <laughs> so, uh, younger, younger self, I would say, I would say the looking back uh, or like, you know, uh, like giving advice, the highs are not as high and the lows are not as low. Uh, and, and so the ability to manage, uh, have like, uh, ability to have like a good temperament to manage those highs and lows is, is going to be super, super critical. And I would have, I would have ideally liked to take care of myself more in the past. I'm starting to do it right now, but I just did not take care of myself, which means like I will not sleep well. I will not eat well. Uh, you know, I will be like, extremely scrappy to the point of being close to being unproductive. Uh, so taking care of yourself and managing the highs and lows and like a good temperament, I think those are, those are big things. And, and also, you know, towards hacker rank in a, in a world where the few, the, the, the vision is a fully realized, what does that uh, future look like for hacker rank? There won't be any resumes at all. 
um, and every 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 everybody will just uh, uh, every every job description will have the skills based on our hacker rank rubric. Every developer will be measured on their skills based on a hacker rank rubric, and uh, developers will actually work on the right set of companies, right set of projects, and the world will have accelerated pace of innovation. Which means, like when we work with uh, you know when we work with a company like um, uh, like Blue Origins, we'll, we'll actually help them. Sh- Build spaceships faster, or when we work with uh, uh, when we work at Ford, we'll actually help them help them transform into a strong digital tech company to build autonomous vehicles faster in the market. So the world will fundamentally have faster level of innovation. Got it, got it. Very cool. And how how do you think about culture? Because you were talking about two hundred and fifty employees. So so what's your biggest takeaway on culture? Yeah, it's a good question. I think culture is hard to. Build and I, for first, it's, it's it's important to define. Like I think it's the way that the company tries to make decisions. I think we've done pretty well in documenting them and operationalizing them in the form of interviews, in the form of making sure that like people actually follow that when they give, when they get promotions, when they give kudos and others. Uh, but I think it it also needs to evolve with the company. I don't think it has to be like I mean like at some level that this like foundation needs to have like you know every company needs to be customer obsessed and like you know it needs to be kind of data driven and all of those things but but i think like at different phases you need to make some explicit trade-offs and i think the best way to put is like when you're trying to build when you're trying to document an operationalized set of like core values or principles or uh which which is kind of the operating model which defines your culture it's important to explicitly call trade-offs um and and, and that's the hardest part which is like move fast and break things that's a trade-off you can't say move fast with high stability uh, then, then what are you? What are you trying to do? I mean, like yeah, that, 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 that's very, very hard to do. Um, so, uh, I think it's important to explicitly mention trade-offs, and then, and because that that defines that that helps people to make decisions. Got it. And for the folks that are listening, Vivek, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Sure, I'm uh, Vivek at HackerRank, and I'm also on Twitter, uh, rvivek at rvivek, so you can tweet uh, or email. Um, be happy to help in whatever way I can. Amazing. Well, Vivek, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker Show today. Awesome. Thank you so much. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember, that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.